1: Learn more at marines.com.
0: You're listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swinging a high-deep drive on right field. That one's stalled to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over. Presented by SB Nation. At for years. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a pitch. And featuring Keaton DeRocher.
1: Strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale, An absolute strikeout machine.
0: 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball. Deep in the left center field. Way there. back it carries. And that ball is gone. The Red Sox walk it off. In style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out! The rookie takes Chapman the other way
1: Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and of the Dynasty Guru. Uh, we are back for the first time in a couple weeks, and uh, the Red Sox have some news. Red Sox have hired a brand new chief baseball officer, uh, and we're going to talk about that on the show today, Our internet, our initial reactions to that. And uh, also, this is the first time that I've been on a podcast in a little
0: while, so that's kind of cool. Um, Keaton, how are you, my friend? I'm okay, in the uh, the midst of struggling with a cold, but I'll power through it, ready to talk some socks, get that off-season going. All right,
1: so we do finally have some news after what was well over a month of, of a vacancy here for the Red Sox in the... Uh, vacated position by Dave Dombrowski, um, but the guy who ended up being hired by the Red Sox was Hyun Bloom um, of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you know he was working with the Rays since two thousand five. Um, extremely well thought of. Just a a guy that um, you know when when his name was brought up. Um, everybody kind of acknowledged that this would be a great candidate for the job. But someone who, I don't know, it seemed, it seemed like it was a little bit unrealistic that they were going to get somebody in this vein. Um, the longer this search kind of went on, my impression of it was that the Red Sox were going to go with one of their internal options of Eddie Romero, Zach Scott, Brian O'Halloran, or Raquel Ferreira. Um, even though the management had said that they were looking outside, it just seemed like the job, um, had a lot of question marks and they'd already made a lot of moves. And it seemed like, you know, a guy like Bloom, um, seemingly could have his pick of very many jobs. So I guess I was delightfully, uh, I was, I, I guess I was like surprised, uh, by the fact that he chose the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, I was too, actually, but, uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, by all accounts, this was a great hire for the Sox, and kind of looking forward to see the direction that uh, he starts moving the team, which it shouldn't take long for things to start kind of falling in place here.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your initial reactions to this. So obviously, you were surprised, you liked the move, but like, what made you view this positively? I guess. What did you like about this move?
0: Yeah, well, I liked that um, kind of moving more towards a uh, progressive baseball front office, which I think is the way to go. And they, I mean, they kind of started doing that uh, even before the hire bit. There was some talk about how they were recommitting themselves to analytics, something they'd gotten away from under Dombrowski. Um, And it's just so incredibly obvious that the teams that invest in analytics and um, like in an actual analytics department where the teams that performed the best, not only in player development, but on the actual field of play this year as well. So that was something that they really shouldn't have started to veer away from uh, in the first place, but they wanted to make a commitment to get back to that, which is a positive sign. And I think that's kind of solidified here with this, this hire that, that they're making a concerted effort to, be more analytical and be more of a progressive baseball front office than they have been in the recent past, which I like.
1: Yeah, I agree. and uh, I think that there's no better um, organization if the Red Sox are looking to uh, be more efficient with finances and be better developmentally. I think there's really no better uh, organization to look to than the Tampa Bay Rays um, and you know, over his time with the Rays, Bloom held a number of roles, uh, assistant director of minor league operations in 2008. He started with them in 2005. In 2014, he became um, the vice president to baseball operations. Um, And then as recently as 2016, he was second in command behind president of baseball operations, Matthew Silverman, as senior vice president of baseball operations. So he's really had his hand in uh, a tremendous amount of what the Rays have been able to accomplish since two thousand five, and you know he uh, has been able to learn right alongside Andrew Friedman, who was there from two thousand three to uh, what was that twenty fourteen. So I mean he um, he's been able to learn under some pretty talented guys as well.
0: Yeah, he has. You're absolutely right. Um, for as much as uh, we seem to dislike the Rays. They are one of the few model front offices out there currently. So being able to pick from their crop, uh, smart move. And that, I think that was part of the surprise for me that uh, someone would leave the race for the Red Sox. But it's one of those, the, the situation that the Red Sox are in right now is really atypical for anybody who would be accepting a new job. That it's kind of like a. I mean, as much as this past season sucked, the future is bright and it's, you know, it's a big market team. They're in a position to compete now and have a young core. And that's, it really isn't every day that you can jump into a situation like that.
1: You know, I've, I've been of two minds uh, talking about this situation and this vacancy. Um, and, you know, I talked to Matt about it the most as we were unlocked on Lockdown Red Sox together this year. And, um, man the more I talked to Matt I think he was able to convince me that this in many ways was an undesirable job and I think even in our discussions Keaton um there were a lot of things that you pointed out about management that made me think like ugh. you know I don't know if if an attractive candidate would take this position based on you know some of the things you've said about management and you know some of the just the red flags that are there um and but at the end of the day like i kept going back to this idea that this is the red sox you know this is one of the five most important baseball franchises in the major leagues there's only 30 of these jobs right so like um you know if if you have an opportunity to to have one of these jobs especially for the red sox doesn't matter how much crap comes along with it like it's still basically the best of the best um and so I was weighing that in my head, and I guess that won over, right? Because, I mean, this is not this is an A-plus candidate. There aren't too many candidates out there who would have been a better fit for this job or a, a more high-profile fit for this job,
0: right? Yep, I agree. And you're right. I mean, my, my biggest concern is with the management and how they'll end up kind of hovering over people in the baseball ops and GM position but that's been a concern going back you know over a decade now at this point so it's not something that <clears throat> probably is going to go away um so you kind of have to pick and choose whether or not it's you know a place that you would want to work and I think the uh the other pieces of the job are a lot more attractive and it being a big market team them having Bogart's endeavors locked up for the long term they have a young core they have a couple names in the farm i mean it's not like overwhelming but it's in a bit of a better shape than it was uh, um really like a year ago so it's you know trending up uh and it's it's a team with a young core that is ready to compete now and has veteran pieces at least for the moment still with the team so I mean, if you look at the other the, the other jobs that are open, like Kansas City, um, they're not really trending. Well, I guess they're kind of trending up, but they're rock bottom trending up where the Red Sox are in a position to compete now and trending up. Um, you don't think Pittsburgh's an attractive job? <laughs> that, was, that was the other <laughs> one I was trying to think of. No, I do not <laughs> think that's an attractive job at all. And they seem to just keep stepping on their tail uh that's that's not great so i think i mean if bloom felt like right now was the the time to make a move uh, it's not like a situation like this would have come up again in the near future so i think that piece probably outweighed the ending up having to deal with the red sox front office and hey theo webstein was able to do it and leave the red sox and be successful um The two that have followed him, uh not so much. But there at least is a roadmap for an A-plus candidate like Bloom to be successful for however long he ends up being here and being successful for a long time after that. So that's probably, I guess, would be my guess as to what went into his thought process. But, I mean, the it's not like ownership was going to just all of a sudden disappear. So that was just always going to be there.
1: Right, yeah. Ownership is ownership, and it's not necessarily a bad group. It's just a group that you have to manage, right? You have to be confident enough in what you do and have enough. um, I don't know. I guess goodwill is is the way to put it. Like if you're always, if you're always doing things in a way that pleases ownership, or in in a way that is breeding success, I think you're going to be fine. Um, I think the 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 things that have happened negatively were when teams had struggles or collapses and sure, those things will happen. Um, but I think that the mindset that Bloom has from the people that he learned under and just innately, it seems like the way that he thinks about the game is always to have one eye on the future. Um, and that's one of the things that he talked about, um, in a few of the, um, statements that have been made by him over the years, And I think the thing I'm most excited about here is just what's going to happen to Red Sox player development. And uh, specifically in the area of how the Red Sox develop pitching. I think the Red Sox have been doing a much better job in the last few years under Dombrowski. um, Getting away from this idea of that the Red Sox had to draft and develop pitchers with a certain body type and a certain arm slot and a certain height. And, you know, all these different things that the Red Sox seem to require over time. And they've gotten away from that just to people that create a lot of deception and, you know, have success. And I think that's been good for the team. But having a guy like Bloom who has just had tremendous uh, success developing pitching. And um, I'm looking at a quote right here from Tom Verducci that said, No franchise understands better how to identify, develop, and maintain quality pitchers. Um, That was from 2008, I believe. Um, And then... In Jed McCaffrey's five things to know about Bloom article, she talked about development of price, Blake Smell, Matt Moore, Alex Cobb, and many more. I mean, we the the Rays just always seem to put out pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. So if there's something to get excited about, I think it's, it's what's going to happen to the minor leagues for the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about it. And hopefully uh... – with the decisions looming it won't take long for him to start putting his kind of stamp on the organization and i really hope that means retaining rookie bets forever
1: yeah so i guess that's the the next logical spot for us to go to um, bloom's going to have his hands full with decisions uh, basically right away the biggest issue that has to drop though before anything can really be considered before bloom knows what he has to work with is the J.D. Martinez decision whether or not he's going to opt out, and I know you had some thoughts on that situation, so let's start there.
0: Yeah, I just kind of found it weird that nobody had talked to him yet. Um, You know, even with the vacancies within the organization, it still seemed like someone should reach out to him, like even maybe Cora. I don't know if they wanted someone that close to him kind of reaching out to him about his... Where its head was at or not. But the only thing that's happened is Tom Werner is met with Scott Boris. Uh, and it seemed like I don't even know what kind of meeting it was. It was just nothing's changed. And they haven't, Red Sox haven't made an attempt to restructure or actually reach out to Martinez himself. Um, so they're just sitting back on their hands waiting for some kind of decision to come. And it doesn't seem like they. The only thing that came out of the meeting is just that Henry um, or Tom Warner acknowledged that he met with Boris and that nothing's changed, which makes me wonder what the conversation was even about. Was it just like a, hey, are you, you're, you're out, you're in, and they're like, nope, okay, cool, and and then that just kind of continued, so I think it's got to be the first step, right? Cuz Martinez is obviously going to be the first shoe to drop on what would or would not happen with bets. So I would expect maybe by the end of the week we'll have heard something that Bloom has met with Martinez or talked to his folks or him, hopefully him directly. But um the other quote was from uh Henry who said I don't know what they're thinking in regards to Martinez and Boris. So it seemed like whatever meeting they had or was not all that effective. So that doesn't give me hope. That I, while I think that the Red Sox would be the most logical place for him to land um, or stay with, like opt-in, for him to play next season, um, I'm kind of losing hope that that is actually going to be the reality with Martinez.
1: Yeah, I guess I take this... Uh inaction by the Red Sox as lack of interest. I think if you yeah. are very interested in re-signing a guy you're reaching out to him immediately and if you're interested in keeping him you're trying to restructure his money or you know, do something with the contract that makes it more tenable for the Red Sox situation and I think that by standing back the way they are they're making a clear signal that like hey listen we really need your money to pay bets so like can you just like kind of opt out like that's the way that i'm taking this whole thing
0: yeah me too that's exactly i'm taking it too and i really don't think that's an appropriate way to treat him
1: (laughs) i agree um i i would hope and i don't know this to be true if you know we could just be this is complete conjecture so maybe this is exactly what the meeting was but i would hope that the meeting would go something like hey we really appreciate everything that you've meant to this club and you know to the world series and all that stuff. But like the reality is that we've put ourselves in a position where we need to choose between you and bets right now. And you know, that's, that's what it is. So thank you so much. And we wish you the best, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think that that's like, that's what I would like them to say, because yes, you have completely boned this financial position to the point where that is what you need to say to him.
0: Yep. And not, not real, big fan so i mean hopefully now that the the positions of baseball ops and gm have been filled that he has like direct contacts on who to talk to and whatnot so hopefully that can begin because i feel like ownership it was probably on purpose their lack of involvement and kind of like you said hoping that he might take a hint of uh we'd rather have bets than you long term so go away kind of thing but yeah. that's that's it just kind of adds to the frustrations of the front office and how they handle things and how they end up you know, eventually breaking up with personnel and players and that it's rarely good. Well, maybe they'll get better at it this time. There's <laughs> always hope. That's true. There's always hope.
1: Um, but I, I think you mentioned something that I want to hit on next. Uh, what's going to be happening with the rest of the structure uh, here? Um... <coughs> So Brian O'Halloran, who is one of the four guys uh, sort of co-running this team before they hired Bloom, has been hired as the general manager. Uh, Raquel Ferreira is going to be sticking with the Red Sox, um, and she is going to retain her title of senior VP, major league and minor league uh, operations, and Eddie Romero and Zach Scott, as of right now, are maintaining their assistant general manager titles. But um, rumor has it that one of those guys was interviewing for a job today. So um, I wouldn't expect all of them to stay in the organization. But during the press conference with uh, Bloom today, you know, basically every quote that we saw from uh, Alex Spear, who was kind of tweeting out things from here, was um, about collaboration. Um, and it says he prioritizes people and relationships above all else this is sam kennedy talking about him um there was consistent refrain about bloom's creativity humility intelligence and sense of humor um let's see i don't know basically everything saying he loves to collaborate with people and bloom himself saying that this is going to be you know something where it's not just him being an authoritarian figure at the top them Kind of taking input from everybody else, and uh, yeah, it says soliciting lots of input. Bloom was identified as top candidate, blah blah, blah. you know, all this all this good mumbo jumbo,
0: yeah, which just seems like a, a big difference from the Dombrowski era where kind of everything ran through Dombrowski. Um, but that is kind of more of like that old school baseball mentality, so I guess it's not all that surprising. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, it's just. When you're trying to overhaul the culture of an entire management group in front office, the, the way that Bloom's going about it seems like a much more successful plan than what happened with Dombrowski. And I guess eventually by the end it just turned into a split front office where one of the reports that Dombrowski was basically it was just him off by himself with Larusa. by the end of it. That's not a great great way to go. <laughs>
1: no no it's in in by all accounts you know the rest of baseball ops was sort of miserable working with him by that point and yeah i think this approach is way more reminiscent of the theo days too and it says oh, yeah. right here that henry uh who was it? henry says bloom's appeal was the collaborative approach rather than an autocratic one um, when when you look back at those theo days i mean how many high up baseball ops guys did that whole era create uh, from that Theo sort of general manager tree I mean there's probably 13 or 14 guys around baseball at least who are either assistant GMs or higher who had some tie to the Theo days
0: yeah and I think uh, probably the most notable would be uh, Mike Hazen mm-hmm. right who there's a lot of folks who are hoping we're gonna get this job Right, yeah, you've got Hazen, you've got Hoyer, you've got Emil
1: Sade, you've got like all these people all across baseball who have just been, you know, part of that and uh, in so many different roles. So I think this is this is probably going to be an overwhelmingly positive thing. But aside from that, I mean, he's got to deal with the Martinez and Betts issues. Those are the two big things. Uh, the Red Sox have made a couple small decisions that we should probably hit on real quick. Uh, Chris Owings was outrighted to the minors. Um, He becomes a free agent. Um, Josh Smith uh, was outrighted to the minors. Uh, Gorky Hernandez was outrighted. Um, Steven Wright was released. Um, So the Red Sox have a whole bunch of free agents. We've talked about some of these guys before, but Porcello, Holt, Moreland, Thornburg, Chassine, Wright, Owings, Pearson, Nunez are sort of the big names there.
0: Yep, I don't think uh, you and I thought any of those pokes would really be back. Uh, well, I guess you thought Corky Hernandez for a bit, and, and then, then I switched. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. Glad I did. Yeah, nothing, nothing major yet. Nothing really surprising yet either, which I guess is good news, and uh, maybe we can save our tears for another day. Yeah, and it's worth noting they have
1: six open spots on the 40-man roster right now. Um, And, you know, a bunch of guys that we assume that they'll add. But we won't get too deep into the weeds of the 40-man. That's certainly for another day. Um, Well, that's coming up. They only have like a month, right? Isn't it like the first week of December? They do. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I guess we could do that real quick if you want to. To, uh, uh to no on some guys?
0: <laughs> i think uh on our next one we should because okay. i haven't i mean besides uh i think we've, we've mentioned Dahlbach uh and or dollbuck and Dahlbeck. brian <laughs> dalbuck's yeah. coming back yeah dalbuck and uh who is it Hauk as the two obvious ones that would yeah. need to be added cj chatham probably as well yeah so i haven't really gone much further beyond uh those guys so if we uh Let's have a little bit, little, little bit of prep time and hit that on the next one. But it is the, uh, that protection deadline is rapidly approaching. We should also
1: uh, <clears> just <throat> hit on this quickly, um, and this is still developing, so we don't have a tremendous amount of information about this, but uh, Alex Spear was reporting just an hour ago as we're recording this that Dave Bush, the Red Sox minor league pitching coordinator of performance this year, is the clear frontrunner to be named Red Sox pitching coach. Um, and one of the other guys who was being talked about as sort of a front-runner for this was somebody that one of our listeners mentioned, uh, Kacen Saroes, who asked us, one, thoughts on Bloom, and two, who do you think the pitching coach will be? Brian Price. Brian Price of the Reds, who was uh, definitely a big candidate there, um, but it does look like this is going to come from an internal candidate.
0: Yeah. I kind of like that. be interested to see how that, I mean, I guess kind of finally shakes out but I I think for that particular position I like going inside rather than outside I don't know what your thoughts on that are so maybe I don't think we've actually talked about pitching coach on this podcast
1: pitching coach is one that's been tough for me to talk about because I just I feel like there are endless candidates yeah you know it's not like there's just one um, I like the idea of Mickey calloway but also he could have been pretty burnt out from you know, Just being in New York as manager, um, I do like what Brian Price has done with the Reds, so I thought that was a good candidate, but really... Um,
0: he did an incredible job with the Reds.
1: He really did. I he mean, did really good coming job. into
0: the season, I had that as... I mean, we talked about um, that pitching staff on Dynasty's Child in the beginning of the season, and I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I thought from top to bottom it was absolute trash and it ended up being a top-five pitching rotation in the Major Leagues. It's kind of just stupid, the things he was able to do with that rotation this year.
1: Yeah, one of us geniuses even predicted him to be a playoff team. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right, you did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess uh, even his pitching genius couldn't get him there. Uh, but... Yeah, no, he's he's done a tremendous job. But I guess I, I just don't have that many thoughts on this candidacy. I've been so focused on who's going to be the you know, the person in charge of baseball ops that I haven't really put too much thought into pitching coach. And, you know, I felt like it was kind of pissing in the wind trying to guess who's going to be uh, the one who's going to make it out of, of this whole smattering of people who could take this job and probably do a good job with it. I didn't even think that um, – uh, what's his name? The former pitching coach who i blanking Vangie. on right now. Uh, Lavangie, yes, Lavangie. I mean, I, I kind of wanted him back for a year. Uh, I get why they moved on, but, you know, I, I didn't have any huge issues with him. I, obviously, the pitching was great yep. in 2018 and then really bad in 2019, so I don't know. I kind of thought that he deserved one more year, but I totally get why they want to move in a different direction, especially... Uh, as reports came out, he just wasn't as open to analytics as, um, as I think the Red Sox want him to be. And I think that clearly we're seeing the team shift in a more analytic direction. Does
0: that make you more frustrated, how they handled Dombrowski then? Because they, they weren't hesitant to uh, part with Lavangi, who they didn't think was a right fit for what they wanted to do. But they did let Dombrowski go a year longer. I mean, I mean, we talked about it last time that um, just the optics of firing your GM after winning a World Series are not great. But uh, at the same time, if you want to take the team in a completely opposite direction, you kind of just don't let them torpedo your vision. Right. And so it didn't seem like they had a problem cutting ties with Lavangi, and maybe they had learned from how they handled Dombrowski and they didn't want to see that happen again. But does that make you more frustrated for how they handled Dombrowski?
1: Uh, yeah, in a way. In a way, it does. Yeah. Um, I I guess, I don't know, maybe part of me thinks with this Dombrowski thing that they their best-case scenario um, was even a little bit different than what happened. I think we all admit that Dave Dombrowski came in and did his job and won the World Series and did exactly what he was supposed to do. But I do think that when he was brought in that there was – more of a show made about how Dave Dombrowski was leaving the whole baseball ops department alone and that he was going to work more collaboratively with them and it wouldn't just be like this old school approach. But I think we found out pretty quickly that within about a year after that honeymoon period that it shifted to being strictly the Dombrowski show and the analytics were going to be second tier. Yeah. I mean, do do you feel that way about the the whole situation, or do you think that, you know, they were able to maintain more of a balance?
0: I, I do not I do not think that they were. Um, just particularly, I guess, by the end of it, there have been so many cracks that it's kind of hard to kind of tie it all together. But, it's, I mean, it definitely feels like that. Like it just wasn't able to – there was just too much – of a chasm between the two is Dabrowski's rule of law and just the, the analytics piece. And it, it kind of, it's shocking, right? When, so I don't know if you've read, um, the MVP machine. I have not. I have, uh, it is next up on my reading list and I've, I've seen some excerpts from it, but it's kind of just shocking, like how far ahead of, all these other teams the Astros are and they're not even doing anything that's that wild. They're just having pitchers throw their best stuff more often <laughs> and basically stop throwing sinkers. It's it incredible amazing. that Yeah, it, it's incredible that nobody else has figured that out. Yeah. And if you're kind of resistant to that information and you're trying to you know, help guys develop based off of well, it's you know, it's fastball, fastball, curveball. That's kind of how you get a guy out. But if neither of those pitches are your best pitcher, or neither of those pitches are your best pitch, then why would you throw them? Kind of deal. It just I don't. It's it's obviously harder than it sounds. But when it's boiled down to um, just kind of those headlines of throw your best stuff and don't throw sinkers, and you see the Astros having this kind of success that they're having, it's just baffling. That nobody else is picking up on it, and that understanding of analytics and what these, you know, what spin rate means to pitches, and um, just being able to develop your own players. I mean, if they're if they're not willing to really kind of see that as the way that baseball is going in the future of baseball, then yeah, I'm not surprised that there's there's a gap and there started to be kind of those canyons between the analytics folks and the this is how we've always done it folks
1: yeah and you know we have seen that gap be bigger and smaller at different times over the last 20 years and i do think that you're right that this is probably one of those times where that gap's gotten a little bit wider in the last few years than it had been maybe over the last 10
0: before it and you remember like in the beginning of Theo's reign, the Red Sox were one of the more analytical teams in baseball. And it's completely shifted to the point now where they're actually one of the least analytical teams in baseball. And the frustrations on the field kind of show that. So yeah. I I'm looking forward to keep dropping this stupid fucking Allen wrench that I've been playing with. So I'm gonna stop playing with it. Um it has been incredibly frustrating just to see that play out on the field. So I I would like the Red Sox to get back to being one of the trendsetters in the league and not fall so far behind. Because it's kind of like the Red Sox, like you said, it's like this is one of the premier franchises in the league. They should not be one of those teams that's falling behind. And they are.
1: Yeah, I agree. And especially when their competition in the Yankees and the Twins and the Astros are... Uh, Able to keep up in that department, if not make advances in that department, um, while investing significant capital. And I think that that's exactly what Bloom gives them the chance to do here. Yep, I agree. Um, let's get to some listener questions. We got a few. Um, the first one we have is from our friend, Shelley Verstrait. And she says, thoughts on Tyler Clippard and Will Harris as bullpen additions this offseason. They're both a bit on the older side, but have performed well. I've been really clamoring for Will Harris. Uh, he's been you have my been. guy uh, for for a while now. So I love the idea of Will Harris. Uh, he's 35 years old. He will be pitching in his age 35 season next year. Um, and he's been great for the Astros for the last really five years that he's been there. Um I don't know if he would want to move or if the Astros would let him move. Um, but, I mean, I, I love the idea of adding a righty like that. He's just proven again in the postseason he can get guys out in huge spots and so reliable. Um, I'm less excited about Clippard though, whose underlying numbers have not been that good, despite his success.
0: I was going to say, he actually had a pretty darn good year, this year. Which is really the first time since 2015? 2014? This last year with the Nationals that he's put up numbers like this.
1: That uh, BABIP, though, 204. I don't know. That is uh, pretty low. It's pretty low. and his 82% strand rate. I mean, I guess he's done strand rates close to that before in the past. But, um... I guess I have such bad memories of Clippard from the Nationals where he just fell apart in huge situations <laughs> that I just do not want anything to do with him. But he did have a good year with the Indians. What do you think about Clippard?
0: I mean, he'd be an upgrade over about half the bullpen that they have now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against
0: that. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're not using him as a closer, sure, I'm all for it. Because I think... I mean, you you want Will Harris as a closer. And probably the reality is we go into the season with Brandon Workman as a closer, who I would want him to be to close, like, over Clippard. And so if you're using Clippard as, like, the one of, the, like, the seventh-eighth inning guys to get you to Workman, yeah, I'm all for that. I'm fine with that. I
1: actually don't want Harris as the closer. I just want him to be the bridge. I think he's dangerous in that role. I like Workman in that role, honestly. Oh, he's
0: so dangerous. in your your roster projection where you had Harris, you still had Workman as a closer. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah,
1: I I just think uh, Workman has the cojones for that role.
0: Totally. I, not yeah, I mean, I though. think I'd probably agree with that for. The, uh, excuse me for the most part. <clears throat> That's probably though where they'll save money is on bullpen. I don't I guess I'm I'm coming around to I don't think they're going to make a a major move for the bullpen because I think they feel comfortable with Workman. And you you're kind of coming around or getting me to come around. I would like like a Will Smith and then have Workman be the eighth inning guy. But I don't think that's a place that they can save like 10 to fifteen million dollars by not having one of those signings and rolling with the uh, you know essentially the bullpen that they have now with expecting some guys to take some steps forward like Hernandez to not walk as many next year probably will still have walk issues because I think his walk for now is like four so uh but it just going down in general would be a win for him so I think they're banking on things like that.
1: I do really like where Shelley's head is at though with um you know going after some of these guys who are in their mid to late thirties who are gonna cost you less years and less money um similar to what the Washington Nationals did this year with you know Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle and you know Fernando Rodney and you know guys who are up there in age um who are still effective I do like that, yeah. Um, All right, next question from Zach And he says What is Bloom's first move?
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now And save up to 60% on hotels So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert In Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda You never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today Your savings are waiting that is a harsh lesson in business
1: sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big
0: names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened up so
1: many more doors the show is called the The Deal. deal
0: listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify um boy well i mean i feel like it has to be jd related um I would ask where the bathroom is because you do not want (laughs) to like not know where the bathroom is. You don't think he has one of those fancy offices that has its own? I mean, even if he does, he needs to know like where Where the the secret button in the bookcase is to open
1: it. (laughs) Yeah, like all those those different things. You don't want the you don't want a secret bathroom that you have to share with guests. You know, you want it to be your own
0: private sanctuary. Maybe uh, scooping up a, a nice lobster roll. Some native food here with a side of uh, clam chowder. Oh, not in the bathroom, though. Not in the bathroom?
1: No? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not eating a lobster roll in the bathroom.
0: No matter how nice it is. <laughs> Why not? You're just cutting out the middleman. man. Just going you know, straight to the end. Um... Yeah, I feel like it's got to be making some kind of contact with J.D. Maybe it's not getting something settled like a new, a restructured deal or getting an answer from him on in and out but some kind of conversation that can shape how the rest of the offseason can go. I feel like that's probably the first move.
1: Just call him and insult him. Yo, J.D., this is Bloom, you bitch. <laughs> Don't opt in. Um, Yeah, that would probably get him to opt out, so... Or maybe, probably would. maybe he'd just do the opposite and be a thorn in Bloom's side for his entire
0: tenure here. Threaten to trade him to San Francisco.
1: I <laughs> uh, think J.D.'s power would play in San Fran? I do.
0: I, his power and hit tool will play anywhere. Yes, he is a monster. I think he is one of the few righties that could probably poke one into McCovey Cove. Harper did it. He's a lefty.
1: Oh, yeah. He is a lefty. My B. Um, Seth Moss has our next question. He says, when alternate realities cause holes in other dimensions, <laughs> should we acquire Adrian Gonzalez? <laughs>
0: oh, God.
1: No. Um, I'm over him. Do we get 2011 Adrian Gonzalez?
0: Even so. he was good he was but Uh, I really just hated hearing him talk
1: he was a very passive man yeah Yeah. I don't think that his passivity would really gel very well with this already passive group of people I think the Red Sox could really use somebody with some fire in their belly like a uh, Johnny Gomes type we need some of those guys yeah you know, because, like, Mookie is just so calm and cool and collected and laid back, and so is, so is uh, Benintendi is, like, way too much that way. Ben Benintendi is so much that way, it pisses
0: me off. Like, it legitimately makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you and I were talking, I can't remember if it was before the last podcast or the one before, but I, I made the comp that Ben Benintendi is the new JD Drew, and I feel like that's just dead on.
1: I totally agree. That made so much sense to me. I think the whole outfield's that way. They're just, like, they're way too cool for me. Um, and Matt would hate this so much, but you know what? He's not here, so screw you,
0: Matt. Yeah, get your own
1: podcast, Matt. Um, yeah, but seriously, don't want Adrian Gonzalez. Um. Dave Lantham has our last question, and he says, "How long should we cry when they inevitably trade Mookie?" Boy,
0: um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if my initial reaction will be to scream or to cry or to scry. <laughs> I feel like there's just a lot of involuntary. Things that'll happen all at once. I'm not sure how to be able to control it. And probably, uh, if you do cry, I feel like um, all the way to spring training is uh, very valid.
1: Will it be like a a single tear, or will it be like ugly crying and snorting and like, you know, like a real mess? It'll be a mess. I'm not going to cry if they trade Mookie. I'm just going to be furious. Yeah, well, I I just get angry. I don't get I don't get sad. I get angry.
0: We're kind of already getting angry about it, and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah, which is why we're not
1: going to talk about the Mike Petriello article about six potential landing spots for Mookie Betts.
0: Yeah, even though we know it exists, people we do know it exists. Also, um, the fact that there's already teams coming out talking about how they plan to. Heavily pursued JD Martinez doesn't make me feel good. White Sox being one of them, um, and I can't remember now who the second team was.
1: Um, we talked about that. Uh, Matt and I talked about that like three weeks before the end of the season about how the White Sox would be a potential target, and I actually mentioned that on the the radio spot in, in uh, uh, Portland or no, was it Bangor. Bangor? Yeah. So that that's cool. It's
0: cool that we, uh, Is it? We got that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was... Within the last week, there's two teams that have come out and been like, we plan on going all in on Mr. J.D. Martinez. And the White Sox is one of them, and now I can't remember who the second team was. Oh, it was the... It was the goddamn Yankees. <laughs> the Yankees so, are going after J.D. That's so Yeah, how stupid. much of that is just a smokescreen to fuck with the yeah. Red Sox? Um... Probably more, but Chicago is legit.
1: Yeah, Chicago is very legit. But come on, Yankees, like get out of my face. You need pitching. <laughs> yeah, and also that stupid Giancarlo Stanton contract makes me so happy.
0: Well, I mean, as long as he keeps missing like 130 games a year. Yeah, I mean, I don't see that getting better with age. So no, I don't think so either.
1: Screw you, Pinstripes. You're out of the playoffs again. It's been a decade since you've won anything.
0: Boom. Yeah, who'd have, who'd have thought that the only New York team to make it to the World Series this decade would be the Mets? Not I. Not, Not
1: I. I. Yeah. Um. Oh, crap. We did have one more question, um, which did involve the Mets, and I lost it. <laughs> I got it. You got it? Yeah. It was something about... um. Cindergaard and Robbie Cano for David Price and Mookie Betts, right? Yep, that was exactly it. But what was the money involved? It's like thirty and thirty going from the Red Sox. It's like thirty-two and thirty for twenty-four and eight. So the the whole thing is like you're saving a bunch of money. Yeah. By
0: doing it, but
1: you're trading. for also making Mookie your team. Bets.
0: Yeah, you're making your team a lot worse. Yeah. By doing that, so <laughs> I would prefer to not. Yeah,
1: I I don't like it. I'm going to be honest with you. I really don't like it at all. And I don't even like that we're thinking about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I- Especially, like, you can't make a move like that until you know what's going on with JD. Because if JD opts in, then... Well, I mean, I don't think you should make a move like that at all. But just in the terms of bets, and I know we said that we weren't going to talk about it. Now we kind of are talking about it. But if you trade bets before... Martinez has made a decision, and then he opts out and signs with the White Sox. Like, what the hell did you just do to yourself?
1: Yeah, and also Cano has four more years left on that deal.
0: Yeah, I think at this point David Price gets out of his deal before Cano does, so I'd prefer to keep David Price than have Robson Cano.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the biggest Cano fans, probably that there <clears> is, <throat> and I just I can't I can't not even defend that move. In no the slightest. Do love his swing though. Ah, oh, what a swing. Alright. Well, I think that wraps our show. Do you have any closing thoughts before we get out of here,
0: Keaton? I don't. But perhaps since uh the World Series will be over by the time we record next, maybe we'll have some clarity on the goings-ons. Yes.
1: And hopefully the uh The Washington Nationals will continue their trend of only winning games on the road and will win the World Series in seven games.
0: Yeah, that would be great, because that was my prediction all the way back in the beginning of spring training when we did our our, our, uh, 2019 outlook. I had Nationals over Houston. I had Nationals over Red Sox. Well, you can still get the most important part right.
1: Yes, but when I did my postseason bracket, I amended it to Houston over Nationals.
0: Well, what a
1: cheater you are. I know. I hate that the Astros are this good, but here we are. Yep. And here we go. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be with you in a future podcast. Probably in a couple weeks, but if something breaks before then, we'll be with you sooner. Bye now.